0: Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. Praise God. Now go with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. This is part three of our vision series, Church in the Wild. You know, we've been talking things specifically about what we do as a church, but we've also been talking about why we exist as a church, why the church exists. And so if you miss any of these parts, go on the Faith Plus app, go on YouTube, and you'll be able to catch up. And Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 We'll do a little bit of review for the people who are new who are joining One thing I want to encourage you to do right now That if you haven't already shared the broadcast Go ahead and share it on social media Whether you're watching on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube Go ahead and share it so other people So retweet on Twitter, share the link on YouTube Share it on Facebook so other people can join in You know, greeting to everybody Watch us, no matter where you are or how you're watching with us. we're so glad that you are gathered with us today So Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. And as we said, this word assembling, for assembling together, means assembling or gathering together, but it comes from the, word, the Greek word epusunagage, And, you know, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to see that the word synagogue is in that Greek word. And one of the things we've shared previously is that synagogues appear to have been first introduced during the Babylonian exile when people were deprived of their usual rites of worship and were accustomed to assemble on the Sabbath to hear portions of the law read and expounded. After their return from exile, the same custom was continued when they returned to Israel. So to recap, the term synagogue was developed in a time when the Jews could not meet as they were accustomed to, yet still endeavored to gather together. Now let's go to Matthew 16. So even when we talk about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, it has a history of innovation. It's not talking specifically about a building. Now Matthew 16 will make that even clearer for us. Matthew 16. Because we already taught on this in depth, we're going to skip down to verse 17. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We know the word Peter means small rock, but this rock here is talking about is a large foundational rock. And this word for church is the word Ecclesia. And as we shared before, what you may not know is that Ecclesia was not a religious term. It could refer to citizens called to gather for civic purposes, citizens called to gather for legislative purposes. It was used to refer to soldiers called out to gather for military purposes. And Ecclesia was simply a gathering or an assembly of people called out for a specific purpose. Ecclesia never referred to a specific place, only a specific gathering. I'll say that again. Ecclesia never referred to a specific place, only a specific gathering. Jesus' audience, who he's talking to here, may have been familiar with the term from another context as well. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, describes the ancient Israelites as an ecclesia. Interestingly, when the Hebrew people were scattered around the world, they were still known collectively as an ecclesia, an assembly, gathering, community, and congregation. While dispersed, the people of Israel gathered in close-knit communities and established synagogues. Each community of God's people called its synagogue, the local gathering of God's people, and Ecclesia, understanding it to be a local, literal gathering of people who were also members of the broad spiritual gathering known as Israel. In both secular and sacred literature, Ecclesia was always referred to a gathering of people united by a common identity and purpose. So the believers gathered around a particular purpose founded on the revelation that Jesus is the anointed son of God. We have been called out for a specific purpose. We gather around a purpose, the vision God has given to us. And our vision is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And as we shared last week, that we need to be on fire if we're going to ignite. If we're going to cause others to catch on fire, we might as well be on fire for ourselves, on fire for God, on fire with the fire of the Holy Ghost, being filled with the Spirit. Because the only way we're going to accomplish what God has called us to do is by the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit. So let's get into a few new things today. And actually, before we get into new things, let's do a little bit more review. Because we must fan the flame of the fire that's on the inside. And the thing is, with things that we've seen go on, just in our lives in the last week, the last two weeks, the different situations, the murder, we which in, the murder we saw happen live on social media, the resulting protest, the civil unrest, the pandemic—all the things we haven't seen happen this year—it can sometimes tempt us to cause, let our fire to die down. But we must fan it into a flame, as it says in 2 Timothy, because we need to be on fire now more than ever. And so as we saw here, Jesus said upon this rock, this rock of Revelation, I will build my Ecclesia and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So as we said before, gates in biblical times were, are the gates of fortified cities that were used to hold councils in and were the places of great strength. And so gates represents... The machinations, powers, policies, plots, strategies, strength, wisdom, censures, and sentence of hell. It represents Satan's propaganda machine. His efforts of injustice, the financial tactics, this is what it means. So he's saying those gates will not prevail against the ecclesia. So the machinations, powers, policies, plots, strategies, strength, wisdom, censures, sentence... Satan's propaganda machine, his efforts of injustice, the financial tactics of hell will not prevail against the ecclesia. We know the strategies of hell are detailed for us in Mark chapter 4. It's affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and lust of other things. This word prevail means to overpower or to withhold. This word prevail means to overpower or withhold. In reading the scripture, many people picture the church holding back, staying in a position, holding back the hordes of hell, attacking the church. They're picturing us playing defense and the church being flooded by the enemy, but the church managing to hold out to the end and overcoming the evil at the last moment. But when is the last time you saw some gates move. You see, the gates, the machinations, powers, policies, plots, strategies, strength, censors, and sentence of Satan in hell, will not be able to hold back the church, the army of God that's marching forward with the mission of winning souls and snatching people from the grips of the kingdom of darkness. It cannot stop us, it cannot hold us back from proclaiming that Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus delivers, Jesus baptizes in the Holy Ghost. Jesus prospered. It can't hold us back. And so what we have to understand here also is that the gates of hell, this language, likens it to a vast prison. And so if it's likened to a vast prison, that means there are people trapped in it who need what we have, who need the fire of God to set them free, to deliver them. They need your prayers. We'll get into that soon. They need to see your light shine. They need you to see to oh, you to overcome what's in your life and live fear-free. They need your testimony. They need you to invite them to church. Even if it's just inviting them to watch online, they need you to invite them. And as we've said over and over again, we need to be intentional. Whether we're gathering in a building or we're watching online, we need to be intentional. We need to be intentional that when we come, we're actually coming with faith to hear the word and to experience God. We're intentional about our witnessing and evangelizing. We're intentional about our giving. We're intentional about our prayer life. And we're intentional, so that means we go, we're going to develop consistency and the power in our consistency. So this is the time we've called to be an ecclesia because sometimes people miss the importance of missions and purpose because they don't know the time and you know we've seen a lot of things happen this year but it just reminded us of what time it is that we must be like it's called in the old testament the sons of issachar who knew the times and the seasons so some of you already know but let's do a brief review about what time we're living in go to luke chapter 21 luke chapter 21 Verse 8. And Jesus said, Take heed. What is he doing? He's responding to a question. You see this discussion in Matthew 24. Y'all see in Luke 20, 21, he's responding to three questions that they asked. So he says, Take heed, pay attention, that you be not deceived. One of the hallmarks of the end of the age, of in the end times, is gross deception. He says, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draws near. Don't go after them. But you shall hear of wars and commotions. Be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass. But the end is not by and by, or the end is not yet. Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. When we see the word here, kingdom, we would think of you know, nation, states, or countries. But the word nation here is not what we're talking. What we would think about, when we think of nations. We think of the United States, of America, Canada. Mexico, United Kingdom. We think about Argentina, Brazil. Those are nations, but that's not what this word nation here means. In the Greek, it's the word ethnos. What is it talking about? Ethnic groups. So here, this word nations, you could actually write in your Bible, if you have a physical Bible, we put it in your notes on your device. He's talking about races. That in the end, we will see an increase of racial conflict. So this is what Jesus is talking about. You'll see race group rise up against Race group. And you'll see country go against country. So we see this is a time of conflict. It's a time of strife. And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines, and pestilences. COVID-19. What is this? We see great natural disasters, we see shortages, and we see disease. And fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these things, so now he goes back, because he went to the end of the age, but now he goes back to the beginning of the age, telling them what's about to happen in their lifetimes. So he begins to lay out things that a lot of these things were fulfilled by A.D. 70. So he goes forward, talking about that. He says how at the end, this temple is going to be torn down. This is the second temple. And he's telling them, those who are in Jerusalem, how they can escape in those times. But notice what he says here. We'll skip down to verse 24, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So what is he saying here? That Jerusalem would be run by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles fulfilled. So it was a specific time in God's calendar. And so when, he, when was the time of the Gentiles fulfilled? It happened before I was born. So 1948, Israel became a nation again. And in 1967, 1968, we look at the end of the 60s, how they repossessed Jerusalem. So some people mark the time ending in 1948, or some people in the late 60s. Either way, the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And why is that important? Because you're reading in Matthew 24 and other places that it says that generation, that generation that sees that fulfilled will not pass away all these things that he's talking about comes to pass. So what happens? is that start of the countdown clock. Now, the question is, how long is a generation? And the Bible, a generation could be 40 years, it could be 80 years, it could be 120 years, or it could be even less. So one of the things that lets you know the sign is that the age is about to wrap up. But notice what it keeps saying. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud. So this is at the end of that. They'll see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh. Now, keep your finger here if you're on a physical Bible. Go back to Matthew 24. I want to point out something. Matthew 24. One of the things here compares these times to the days of Noah. But it also talks about the beginning of the chapter. Verse 4 Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you he shall hear of wars and rumour of wars. See that you n- be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, for the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. This word sorrows, sorrows here is the word for uh, labor and childbirth and contractions. So, what is he painting the picture of here? That all these things have been happening as long as the earth has been here since man fell we've seen different versions of all these things in human history but it says what you're going to see when you're getting closer to the end of the age is these things will happen more frequently and more consistently so just comparing it to a woman in labor you know i remember my wife was in labor and we had our kids how that we knew you know we were watching the contractions you know even with my youngest you know we had you know two false alarms before she came on the third time because the contractions seemed to be getting closer and closer and we thought it was time but then it wasn't like there were we went to the hospital two times So one time they checked us in and they thought oh yeah definitely the baby's coming and then the next morning they said oh no you got more time and so you know uh but 6 days later she decided to come but what happened with the contractions they kept getting closer and closer and closer and closer and closer until the baby arrives. And so in this part, you'll see the contractions or the sorrows of all the natural disasters and the pestilences and the diseases and the conflict and all these different things described in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, and they'll keep increasing, just like the contractions of a mother and labor to get to the point of the blessed event of Jesus' arrival, the rapture of the church. So one of these things, it just points, you see things around that we've been seeing happening and even seem like an increased measure this year, and all, all they are, they're signs letting us know what the time is. So back to Luke 21. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. And he spake to them a parable, and the purpose of a parable is a short story to prove a point behold or pay attention to the fig tree and all the trees when they now shoot forth you see and know your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand so likewise when you see these things coming to pass know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand so just pay attention to the fig tree and all the other trees so yes we look at the natural example about how we know when the leaves turn and different things happen in nature we know what season it is But also, when you study the Bible, the fig tree here in this parable represents the nation of Israel. They say, well, what about all the other trees? There are different trees mentioned. These are the nations of prophecy. And so that includes Russia. That includes Syria. That includes Egypt. That includes different nations that are mentioned, especially in the Old Testament. These are nations of prophecy. What it says, when you see these things happen, you know the time is short. And you know that Jesus is coming soon. But notice what Jesus says. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And pay attention to yourselves. So pay attention to the signs. Know the time. But also pay attention to yourselves. Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged. That word overcharged means weighed down and burdened. With surfeiting. This word surfeiting... It's talking about having a hangover, or a drink or drinking so much you're hungover. And then drunkenness. This means intoxication, but it's interesting to me because it comes from the word meth. Meth. Now let's look at this last one and the cares or the anxieties of this life. And what happens? So drunk on the cares of the world and anxieties of life, you're so anxious, it's overtaking your thinking so that that day comes upon you unaware that you can get so full of worry and anxiety and so consumed in what's going on in this world that the return of Jesus will catch you off guard. So Jesus says, you pay attention to yourself so that doesn't happen to you. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, pay attention, be alert, therefore and pray always. The so says, watch and pray. Pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. So, you know, you see these things coming upon the earth, but there's always a way to escape, to not be overcome with these things, and to get the victory. Even though we live at the end of time, not the end of the world, the end of time. We're living closer to the end of time. There's a phrase called the last days. The last days began with the ministry of Jesus. So the last days have been going on for about two thousand years now. But there's a sliver of time at the end of the last day called the end times or the end of days. And so I'm not gonna get into it, but there's I remember, you know, Hilton Son, if some of you have been part of this ministry for a long time, remember when Hilton Son would come and teach on end times. I remember years ago in 2004, he laid hands on me and imparted that anointing to teach on the subject. And so there's so many things I would dive into if I was doing a full end-time teaching today. But one of the things you have to understand is that this is the time we live in, and end-times teaching is not doom and gloom teaching. It's a time of victory that you have to understand you're here for such a time as this. That God knew what was going on in the world and he purposed for you to be here at such a time as this. You know, I was talking to my oldest and she was talking about how other people, you know, in her age were concerned about all the things that were happening, what was going on in the world. And, you know, I told her, I said it this way, I said, welcome to living in the end times. And I encouraged her and I was sharing with my family, we were meant for this time. We were meant for this time. We were meant for this season. God knew that you had what it took not just to win, but to win big in this time. So don't let your heart be overtaken with anxiety. And don't try to treat that anxiety and be overtaken with alcohol and drugs. You are on the winning side. So watch and pray always. Why is that important? Now we know the time. we go to Second Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. All of that was my introduction. So 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2. We'll start with verse 1 so we kind of have a picture of what Paul's talking about. Now we beseech you, brethren, By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together on him, so about Jesus' coming and the rapture of the church, the gathering together unto him, that you be not so soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. So don't be concerned that you miss the rapture, that you miss the day of the Lord. Let no man deceive you by any means. Because remember we said the end times is marked by deception. For that day shall not come except... There, be, there come a fallen away first and that the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called god or that is is worshipped, so that he as god sits in the temple of god showing himself that he is god so there's coming a day where the jews will rebuild the temple this will be the third temple in jerusalem and so there'll be a temple that will be revealed but at the middle of the tribulations with this you know daniel's last week it's in the middle of this tribulation that the Antichrist goes to the temple, sits in the temple and declares himself being God so this is what he's talking about, so apparently Paul has preached this to the Thessalonians and so I don't have time to go into what he's referring to, go into the book of Daniel and then even say things in the book of Revelation which at this point when Paul is talking hasn't even been written yet, but you see by the Holy Ghost that the Paul was already teaching the people these things and so he says, this is coming. He says, I told you about he says, Remember you not when I was with you? I told you these things. And now you know what withholds that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity does already work, but only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way. And so he's talking about here, the son of perdition, Paul calls him here. He's called the Antichrist in John's writing. He's called, you know, different things in different parts of the Bible. He's called the beast in the book of Revelation. But one of the things we see here is that he can't be revealed. So somebody's like, I know who the Antichrist is. No, you're not. Well, I think he's so, whoever you think it is is wrong. Because the Bible says he's not revealed, which means you aren't going to know who it is. And you can play all the guessing games you want, but you just show how wrong you actually are. You don't know who the Antichrist is. The Bible gives some clues about what he'll be like and some descriptions of, of him in the Old Testament. But you won't be able to guess who he is. But notice what it says here that he cannot be revealed. Why? There is somebody withholding him. The word withholdeth means to hold back. It means to detain. It means to restrain. It means to hinder the course or progress of. And then it uses in the next verse the word leteth with the same translation as the word withholdeth. So he says there's somebody holding back the Antichrist. There's somebody detaining the Antichrist. There's somebody hindering the course and the progress of the Antichrist. And some people would read this and they say, oh, it has to be the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the only one who holds back the Antichrist, and, you know, God will take him away before the tribulation, and that doesn't make sense. And here's why it doesn't make sense. One of the chief missions of the Holy Spirit is salvation. And when you read the book of Revelation, and you read the different parts of the Bible talking about the tribulation, you see, there are masses of people, billions of people even, who get saved. How are they going to get saved if the Holy Spirit's not here? He's not taken away. He is not removed. His ability is not removed from the earth. But there's somebody else who will be taken out of the way. And when that is taken out of the way, then the Antichrist can reveal himself and progress. And I'm telling you that the person who withholds is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you exist Because you are alive The Antichrist cannot reveal himself But I want to point your attention To what that word withhold means again It means to hold back To detain To restrain And to hinder the course Or the progress of You know what's something interesting In 1 John chapter 5 John is talking about the Antichrist So let's go look there for a second 1 John chapter 5 Actually, First John chapter 4. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. One of the things John is doing here is combating Gnosticism, some things we've been talking about as we studied the book of Col- Colossians on Wednesday. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you heard, have heard that it should come, and even now, already in the world, you are of God's little children and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the them we've overcome are the spirits of Antichrist. So there is someone who will be referred to as the Antichrist, who will fulfill that role talking about in Daniel and then here in the Bible we've seen in Thessalonians and we'll see in the book of Revelation and here in John, there is a person where there are also spirits of Antichrist, demons, who are assigned to prepare the way for him to be revealed, to be a perverted version of John the Baptist who are trying to cause different things in the culture to shift in such a way so he can appear. And so those spirits, John says, are already in the earth. And he wrote this nearly 2,000 years ago. He so these things are already in the earth. These things are already working. And so since they are working, it is the job of the church, the ecclesia, not the building the ecclesia to hold back the spirits of Antichrist to restrain it, to detain it to hold it back to hinder the course and the progress of the spirits of Antichrist it is the job of the church it's only the church that can hold back these demonic spirits and their plan let's go back to 2nd Thessalonians so what's one of the ways we hold it back For the mystery, verse seven, of iniquity, does already work; it's already active. Only he who now lets will let until he will be taken out the way. So one of the things we see in mysteries, and when you read Paul's writings, and as I talk about in when I'm going through the book of Colossians, that one of the things that's very important to Pauline theology is the word mysteries. There's a whole list of mysteries that he teaches on in the Word of God, and we won't get into it today. But one of the things we see in 1 Corinthians 14 is that when we pray in the Spirit, we pray out mysteries, divine secrets, plans, and purposes. So there are times when we're praying out mysteries, we're praying out different things, like the mystery of Israel, the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory, the mystery of God, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of us gathering unto Him. There's a whole lot of mysteries, but sometimes if we yield our spirit in prayer, the Holy Spirit is praying concerning holding back the plan of the enemy. It is the job of the church to hold it back, and one of the ways we do it is through prayer. You see, prayer is not just communication with God, even though prayer is communication with God, it's also partnering with God. And Romans chapter 8 tells us the Spirit prays through us. He withholds with us, uh, withholds with us and against what we're praying. So he helps us grab what we're praying and helps us pray against things to hold things back. And so prayer is important. It's not the only thing we have to do, but we cannot discount real prayer. Not saying, oh, hashtag prayers. I'm so bad, so sad this happened. You know, emoji prayer sign, and don't pray. That's not praying. Or oh, God bless it. Oh, God help him, and not really mean it. That's not praying. That's not real praying. People who really enter into that realm of prayer can hold back the plans of the enemy. And we have to understand that in these times, we have to hold back plans of the enemy. We have to pray like the Bible tells us to pray and not make excuses for not praying. Because a lot of people say, oh, I don't like that person. I'm not going to pray for them. How Antichrist is that? Think about a doctrine of the Antichrist. If we can hold things back by prayer, you get so-and-so offended and say, I'm not going to pray for that political leader because, you know, I don't like them. But the Bible, let's, let's go there, let's go. Timothy. Just a few pages over. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority who have influence that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable on the sight of God our Savior, who have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. When Paul is writing this Nero and his crazy Caesar self is in charge, but Paul is saying you must pray for him. You know, the prophet Samuel said in the Old Testament, I will not sin by not praying for you. And so deciding not to pray for one of your leaders because you don't like them is sin and it's a demonic doctrine. And because you decide not to pray, and not to engage with the Spirit and pray, you have opened the door for Satan to use that individual further. Well, pastor, did you see his sweet? Yes, I saw his sweet, but God did not excuse you, not praying. So stop making up all these excuses and offense why you don't pray and get your butt back to prayer. We must be people of prayer if we expect to hold back the plan of the enemy. Prayerless churches do not have power. They cannot withhold the enemy. You must pray, and you must really pray, You need to settle in your mind no matter what you think about the president, no matter what you think about the Congress, no matter what you think about the Supreme Court, no matter what you think about the governor, no matter what you think about the mayors, no matter what you think about anybody in political authority, you've made a decision, I will obey the word of God and I will pray. You must pray if you expect to withhold the enemy. And so one of the things we've seen And this time of civil unrest, this time of civil disobedience, this time of protest, and there's so many peaceful protests that we're in support of. I was even at a peaceful protest earlier this week. But then there are different elements trying to sneak in to corrupt the just cause. And so, you know, the governments have seen them, the news has seen them, but people don't know how to stop them. So do you know how we stop them? We had to get into prayer concerning that. Praying, one of the things I began praying this week, expose them, reveal who it is, stop them. Because their plans are to stop the progress that's supposed to go forward in this nation. So yes, there are natural things. We'll get to some of those in a minute. But don't expect only the natural things to happen if you do not pray. See, some of the things we're watching right now is an awakening. And the thing is, some of you, we've been praying for an awakening for years. It just looks different than we thought it would. But we must not give up in prayer and get so offended at foolishness from political leaders that we stop praying. We must pray. doesn't matter what party you're part of, what party you're not part of, it is your job to pray if you are a believer. We must pray if we expect to withhold the plans of the enemy, if we expect to detain and restrain and to hinder the course and the progress of. Now go to James chapter 4. I didn't say you have to vote for a person. I didn't even say you have to like them, but I did say you have to pray for them because that's what the Bible says. And we have to decide in these end days, are we going to believe the Bible or are we going to believe some meme on social media? James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist him. Resist the devil. And so, what some people do is, well, it's, you know, Pastor, you said it's the end times and the world's gonna get worse, so I'm just gonna look to me and my four and no more and I'll be fine. No, that is not resisting the devil. You say, well, the, you know, Dad Hagen used to use an example, you know, a Pastor came up to him one time and was talking about the end times. They go, no, the Bible says that children will be disobedient to the parents in the end times, and he was excusing that as an excuse about why his kids were running wild. And Dad Hagen said, not my kids. Whoa, whoa. just because it happens in the end times doesn't mean it has to happen in your house and doesn't mean it has to happen in your sphere of influence. Although we see there's going to be racial conflict in the end times. Although we see there's pestilence coming in the end times doesn't mean it has to happen in your house. It doesn't mean it has to happen in your sphere of influence. That if you choose to resist the enemy has to reflect. If you choose to resist the racism, it has to back up. If you choose to resist the systematic injustices, it has to bow. If you choose to resist the plagues, it has to go. We must resist the enemy. Welcome to the resistance. We're not supposed to hide in a closet somewhere. We're not supposed to put our head in the ground. We're supposed to be out there causing the change to happen. Go with me to 1 Peter, chapter 5. This word resist means to set oneself against who we to oppose. First Peter chapter 5. Verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Don't carry these cares. Don't carry these worries. Don't carry these anxieties. Give them to God because he is your caretaker and he cares for you. Be sober. This word sober means to be calm and collected in spirit. Don't be so up in your emotions that you don't know what's going on. Come on, collect yourself. Be vigilant, which means to be alert, to give strict attention to so you're not suddenly overtaken in a destructive calamity. Be vigilant, be alert, be aware of what's going on around you. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. So, as we always say, there are whom he can devour and the whom he can't devour. So, this one you resist, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same affliction, the same pressure, is accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We must resist. There is resistance achieved in prayer, but we must also resist in our actions. It's not just prayer alone, but we must not forget prayer and back away from prayer. It is prayer and our actions. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor or its flavor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Remember, salt is a preservative. And salt, remember, they didn't have refrigerators then. They didn't have deep freezers then. So if they wanted food to last longer, they would have to put some salt on it so that it would be preserved to last longer. The church, the ecclesia, is the preservative of this planet, the preservative of this world. And the more we are in tune with God and walking with God, the more we can preserve. But the less salty we are, the more destruction that can come. Just because it happens in the end time, that doesn't mean it has to happen in your house. And there are some things you can keep ha- from happening in your community and your neighborhood if we dare to address it and not just run away. Say, oh, I can't wait for the church building to open so I can go hide in my four walls. No. Yes, we're going to open the door soon. Yes, we'll be able to meet in the beating soon. But that doesn't mean we hide in here. We must be those who are about the causing things to change, being the salt of the earth. And as it says here, next, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a candle, put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. you got to do something before works to happen and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So we must do what God has called us to do as individuals and as a church body. We must do what God has called us to do for the salt to preserve our area and for the light to be seen. We're all called to do different things. We're called to be part of this body here, but we all have individual callings and anointings. And when you yield to what God has called you to do in prayer and in your actions, you are withholding the spirits of Antichrist. You're withholding the plan of the enemy. You're withholding what he wants to do in this city and in this community. You are causing change to happen. As you withhold, we are able to push back the gates of hell and rescue people who are trapped in its prison-like system and we can change we can cause things to happen yes we can we can make a difference in this time the end times is not for us to pray for the rapture to happen soon and to take us away because we're scared no this is the time for us to go forward welcome to the resistance if you haven't been resisting join the resistance it's time to go forward. It's time to make a difference. It's time to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influence the world through the power of the love of Jesus. It's time to affect our community. It's time to affect the legislation. It's time to affect what goes on in this community, not just watch things happen. We must resist. We must withhold. We must do what God has assigned us to do. And through our actions, as you heard me say before, and here we say more, we are awakening people to faith in God. One of the things we're called to do in awakening people, because we're igniting awakening. And when I was thinking about this and planning things we're doing for the future, I said, Well, what's happening in an awakening? And one of the things the Spirit said to me was an awakening of faith to God. An awakening of faith in God. That what we do, what we teach, how we minister, calls people not just to wake up, but they're going to awaken to the lifestyle of. Trust in God. That in these uncertain times, there is a certain lifestyle. In these times of chaos, there is a secret place. In this time of mass destruction, there is safety. And it's in the life of faith in God. And as we see in Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll probably get into there later in the series, but I'm wrapping it up for today's message. Faith, our trust in God is like a shield. It's a shield. It's a shield for us. It deflects the attacks of the enemy. It protects us from being destroyed by the attacks of the enemy. Faith is our shield. Faith is how we overcome the systems of this world. And you have to understand the systems of this world are backed by demonic power and spirits of Antichrist seeking to implement systematic injustices. But by faith, we can overcome it. By faith, we can change it. By faith, we can make a difference. By faith, we can be the light of this world. By faith, we're the salt of the earth. By faith, we withhold the plan of the enemy. And by faith, we're marching on the gates of hell, and the gates of hell can't hold us back, and we are going to win people to Jesus, proclaiming Jesus saves, Jesus heals, Jesus delivers, Jesus baptizes in the Holy Ghost, Jesus prospers. We are going to make a difference. We will ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. We will be a many cities. We'll be online. We will cause change to happen because we're not those who are going to hide and rushing to get things back to normal. No, we're going into the future God has for us. We understand this is church in the wild. This is not church at normal. This is not church as we used to be. We will be the ecclesia so we can do what God has called us to do. It's time for us to go forward, to take the action steps. And we've shared some today and we'll share more going forward and how we're going to make a difference. You know, one of the things that my wife and I and the team, we've been planning different things for the future. Things I don't even talk about today. But things that we're going to make a tremendous difference. It's time for us to go forward. And as you heard me say, before I'll say it again, it's time for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to lead the way. Welcome to the resistance. It's time to resist the enemy, and he will flee. And as you know from Ephesians 6, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. We know who our real enemy is, but we will resist the real enemy, and we'll do the natural things that need to be done so we can establish the change we need to see. Praise God. Father, I thank you for this time in the Word. I thank you for this encouragement, this correction, this reproving, this strengthening we receive. Now, Father, I pray that you make it clear to every single person in the sound of my voice, either watching live or replay, that you make it clear to them their instructions so they can march forward, so they can be the light, they can be the salt, so they can withhold. That in their prayer time this week, that you show them how they're supposed to pray to withhold, but you also show them the action steps they are to take so that we can go forward, so we can do what we're called to do, to ignite an awakening that impacts George and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. Father, I give you all the glory for what you've done in this time. And I thank you that our best is yet to come. In Jesus' name. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.